it just became this ingrained, like, I don't know how to make the right decision for myself. Yeah. I guess my parents must be right kind of situation. Yeah. But then I would feel resentment. You know what yeah. I mean? Because yeah. I knew in my heart what I really liked to do. Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the meaning of success in career, family, and life. We are Jeanette Park, Kate Wong, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. Hey, what's up? And welcome back to Model Minority Moms. We are talking about careers and going all in. And besides wondering, hey, what do I want and what's my passion? A huge influencer is what our parents want. And so today I wanted to talk to both of you about just understanding how much of a role have your parents played in your lives for better, for worse? And what do they think of what you do now? Because I know each of us are really in interesting places. So who wants to kick us off? Hmm, I can go first. I'll try. My parents, with a few exceptions, I don't think they really ever had a good sense of what I did at work. And honestly, neither did they ever really ask. Wait, wait, did they ever put any pressure on you? Like, Jeanette, we want you to be a doctor and take care of us. Oh. Did ever feel like there was a certain amount of money or a certain level of prestige or something that they wanted you to do? No. So just to recap, my parents, both of them, didn't go to college. They just have high school degrees. I think they could have gone to college, but their family circumstances did not allow for it. I think I was always in this weird situation where I probably put more pressure on myself than my parents ever explicitly put on me. So I, I don't know if I had been like a different kind of kid, you know, who didn't generate a lot of pressure on myself, if they would have kind of ramped up the pressure as a response to that. But I think maybe partly because they saw that I was putting myself under a lot of pressure. They never really put pressure on me actually in terms of schooling or career. I think the other part of it is that my parents had difficult childhoods and in many ways, I think in their late teens kind of rebelled against their families and just did things that they wanted to do for better, or for worse. So for example, my parents were not an arranged marriage. It was a love marriage. You know, they started dating when they were 18. I'm pretty sure I was conceived before my parents got married. Um, they just did the things that they wanted to do. And so maybe because of that, they also felt like they didn't have maybe the right or a lot of expectation to really push us to do things for me and my brother. Like, you know, I never had those kinds of conversations that sometimes I hear from friends like, you know, oh, I'm like really upset that you didn't do X, Y, or Z, or I'm really upset that you didn't get this type of grade. I mean, on the contrary, I would bring home straight A's and my parents would be like, good job. And then that's it. There would be no more conversation about it. It would just be like what we ate for dinner that day. And, and in some ways, I think that was healthy, right? I don't know if I could have managed if on top of my own pressures on myself, like my parents were layering on their own pressure. But I think the, the way that they influenced me maybe inadvertently is because we were so financially insecure and because emotional home life was so turbulent. That's the pressure that I felt, right? Is that I saw school and having a working life that made me financially independent. I felt the pressure of needing to get there. And a lot of that pressure was internally generated, not really an explicit expectation from my parents. But yeah, I mean, I could go more into that, but I feel like my story is not the kind of stereotypical Asian tiger parents expecting certain things and putting a lot of pressure on me that way. Question for you with your brother, do you think he had a similar personality to you where he was also very self-motivated? So if your parents didn't pressure him, did they behave differently towards him? Um, no. So my brother, we are very different personality wise. I just don't think he reacted to the whole situation in the same way. And, you know, he's doing great now, but in school, he was a smart guy, but he was like that guy who did well enough, but also never really put in a lot of effort, at least like, you know, through his high school years. And so we were really different. And like my parents, you know, thought my brother should go into acting. And so when we were little, I remember going with my mom to take my brother to like a Hollywood like movie audition. I think it was for Little Rascals. You know, so my parents had like very kind of, they were open to like unconventional careers. I, I'm just going to say that's really unusual. Yeah. Wow. And my dad, he loved to sing. And there was a point in time before he, 
my parents got married where he thought like about pursuing a career as a pop singer. That's just to kind of give you a flavor of a little bit like their personalities, right? Like they were a little unconventional. And I think maybe because their parents were also coming from like pretty from pretty poor background, it wasn't this kind of established family with maybe the means to really push on their kids, the set of expectations that they could also enforce. My grandmother on my mom's side, she became a widow when she was fairly young and she had four kids that she had to feed and raise. I think at that point you're barely surviving, right? You might tell your kids that you want them to do certain things, but you can't really force them because you're busy working and putting food on the table and making sure there's a roof over everybody's heads. And then on my dad's side, it was a little bit of a different story, but also very chaotic. It was not an ideal environment to grow up in, but maybe the flip side of it is they kind of had more freedom to just make their own decisions because the parental enforcement capacity was not really there. That's kind of the the environment they were coming from. So I think when they looked at us, I don't think that they had really a concrete idea of what they wanted us to do. And maybe because of that, they didn't apply any pressure on us. A lot of the pressure I realized is generated, like I said, internally, which sometimes now, I mean, I'm like, do I fault myself for that? Do I fault my parents? I, I think sometimes I fault my parents a little bit because as a child, I, I must have felt so incredibly stressed to put that amount of pressure on myself. And I do think parents have a responsibility to understand where their kids might be feeling like life is out of control. And it's a parent's job to try to provide a safe and stable environment for their kids. But it's nothing that they did intentionally where they were like, you need to go to such and such school. You need to get such and such job. So it's all expectations that I put on myself. But I think because of my parents. Does that make sense? Because you grew up poor. Because I grew up poor and every day I felt like life just could explode, you know, and I didn't have any control over it. I think actually when we were talking to Tamar, some of what she was talking about, you know, I really resonated with that. She said, you know, she saw school as a way to escape and create a life where she was in control versus the one she was stuck with. I felt like that. Even if I didn't really realize it until I was maybe in my early 20s, that was kind of my driving force. Like, I hate the situation that I'm in. Right. I don't like the way my parents are running things. School is the way that I'm going to have more power and more choice for myself. And so I'm going to just do whatever it takes. I mean, you were bold. You applied for one of the country's most prestigious boarding schools for high school, got in, moved across the country from L.A. to the East Coast for four years. And then you went to Harvard, right? I guess in eighth grade, you were that ambitious about like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, I mean, I think ambitious is like one way to put it. But it's also, I think the way that I see it now is a little more nuanced than that, which is I feel a certain amount of sadness, I think, about myself. The mindset I must have been in, you know, when I was 13, 14, to feel like moving across the country to a city that nobody in my family had ever been to was like the best option for me. There were obviously really great upsides to making that decision, but I'm just saying that if I think about my own kids when they're 13 and 14, about them making that kind of decision, you know, I wouldn't want them to make that decision because I feel like I would be doing something wrong if they felt such a drive to like need to do that. Right. As opposed to it being a choice that they're making to really pursue an opportunity that they love. Yeah. I remember when I was in high school, there was a couple of classmates who were on track to get emancipated from their parents by the time they were 16 and legally be not bound to them. And I was just like, what's going on? I mean, the other part of me was like, wow, that's really cool. Like as a teenager, I didn't really think like really why, but that there are some kids out there that are like, I need this to happen for me to live my life. So I want to fast forward a little bit. You, you get into Harvard and then your career is like going to McKinsey, leaving to do different startups. I mean, at one point you are running a restaurant with your mom. Mm -hmm. Another point you are doing a food delivery service for busy parents. You had piloted this like bridesmaids rental service. Bridesmaids, sorry, bridesmaids. That's great. Actually, I just want to rent a whole bunch bridesmaids, <laughs> uh, renting bridesmaid dresses. And then you would go back to McKinsey several times. Then you went to Amazon. So there's a point when you're working in a corporate structure. And then there are times when you're working for yourself. And what were your mom's reactions during this period? Because she's also now at this point living with you, which kind of adds another layer of dynamic here because you're supporting her. Like, what was that like when you would fluctuate? Was she happy in both scenarios? Was she very frustrated in certain scenarios? Was she worried for you? Like, 
did she help out? Um, yeah, I wonder about that. Because, you know, like my mom and my dad, actually, they just never told me when I left McKinsey, they were like, oh, are you sure you want to leave McKinsey? They never said anything like that. They're like, oh, you're leaving. Okay. And then I would just tell them what I'm doing next. And I'm like, okay. You know, and then I tell them what I'm doing next. They're like, okay. They just had this level of trust in me that I mostly appreciated. But I think it's like kind of this theme of like, hey, why did you put so much responsibility on me, right? I think I felt that level of responsibility. Like you expect me to be so responsible that you are not going to even tell me what you think I should do. Do you know what I mean? I, I think I have this weird personality where if you assume that I'm going to do the right thing, it's like I feel more obligated to do what I think you think is the right thing. Wait, can I ask a question though? Do you think your parents, knowing your personality, intentionally just didn't say or do anything being like, well, Jeanette's has this personality. So then we're going to just, you know, let her drive it. Or I'm not saying your parents were like this, but some parents are, or they maybe just didn't really care. Yeah. Or they thought whatever you were going to do was going to work out. Yeah. Which is the trust thing, right? Like either they trust you so much. They were just like, Jeanette's got it. We don't even have to worry about it. Or they're just like, whatever, like we have our own shit to do. Like, again, I have met people who are like that as parents or the children of parents who they claimed were like that. So I'm not saying your parents are, but sometimes it happens. Right. Or they're like, if I give my opinion, I'm going to get her wrath and then she's going to push back anyways. That's just going to be a disaster. Like it's any of those options. So what what do you think it was? I think it's more the trust thing because, you know, at, at that point I had moved out when I was 14. You know, I had been living out of the house and been basically independent from my parents for eight years. You know, some people in college, they would call their parents and ask them, oh, what do you think about which concentration I should do or which class should I take? It never even crossed my mind that I would call my parents to ask them those questions because they just wouldn't know, you know? And so I think I felt the same way about my career decisions where my parents didn't really know, like they didn't know anything about management consulting. They knew what a lawyer was, but they they don't really know about white shoe law firms or nonprofit path. They don't know any of these things. And so I think they trusted me because they just felt, okay, Jeanette's made good decisions. So she's just going to do the responsible thing. We trust her to do the responsible thing. But I guess where a little bit of my resentment comes from too is like sometimes I see it and I'm just realizing this now is like, I'm just going to put it out there, right? Not a fully digested thought, but I feel like sometimes it was an extension of this role that I played as an immigrant kid to be like the guide to America. Yeah. Does that make sense? When I was in first grade, I have this memory of my parents saying that we would go to McDonald's and then my parents would tell me what they wanted, what the whole family wanted. And I would go up and order because I spoke the best English in the family. Right. And and it was that repeated again and again with government agencies, with school, you know, with everything. Maybe a part of my resentment, even though my parents didn't put any pressure on me, is I felt this responsibility on my shoulders to be the guide. I have to be the responsible one to kind of carry the family mm-hmm. a bit. And so I think on one hand, you could look at it as like, oh, it's so great because my parents didn't put any explicit pressure on me. They were not the kind of stereotypical tiger parents at all. I think the other casting of it is like the unreasonable level of assumption of responsibility. Mm. And I think that I've kind of battled with it from my teenage years until now, where it's kind of this weird internal struggle because while I can make all these decisions on my own and there's nobody really pushing me to make a decision one way or another, I've carried that responsibility and that role of being a responsible one for so long that it's very hard for me to take other things into consideration. Like, what do I enjoy? You feel like almost that you didn't really have much of a childhood in that sense, right? Because, you know, as a child, you're supposed to sort of be carefree and not have to worry about certain things, but it sounds like you kind of shouldered those burdens pretty early on. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's so stereotypical, right? The whole grieving of a childhood I never had. Like, yeah, I definitely feel that. I've been processing it through in therapy. You know, like sometimes our friends or like Jake would say, I wish it was high school again. Like it was so carefree. Like you have no cares. Just like, wow, like I don't have any recollection of when I felt I didn't have a care. It's sad for me to say that even now. So it's this weird thing where my parents did not have explicit expectations of me and they didn't push me, nor did they ever really explicitly say that I had to take on this responsibility. But I felt like it was my responsibility. Mm. And so a lot of the confusion that I've been trying to sort out vis-a-vis my career is this pull between this responsible thing that I've always done 
on and these other impulses that are pulling me in other directions. And I feel like there's been a lot of flipping back and forth between those two impulses. And, and those are not the only factors, but yeah, I feel like that's been kind of a theme of Jeanette's having trouble working through these different impulses. I think that makes a lot of sense. I have a friend, his story is not exactly the same as yours. I think the parental circumstances were a little different, but it's funny because to me, from an outside perspective, when we were growing up together, the other Chinese parents always thought he was like basically what you were. Mature, responsible, super smart. Like he skipped a bunch of grades, went to college when he was 12. And <laughs> okay, sorry. But but what I mean is, I, I guess for me too, for the longest time until he and I had some pretty heart to heart conversations, I always thought of him as like just preternaturally wise or like able to handle, skip that part of growing up. Do you know what I mean? But I think what I'm hearing you say, and this is actually a good lesson for us as parents or other parents listening, is that even if your child seems to be very mature, right, or able to take on certain things themselves, they are still children, right? There is still a process by which they have to grow up. And for my friend, what happened later on is that he had a lot of really heavy mental health issues. He had to go through therapy, et cetera. And I just can't help but wonder if it's because, you know, even though it seemed like he was able to handle all of that change and the, you know, the different things like maturity at the time, but maybe he really wasn't. I, and I felt really bad when I learned that about him. And I'm hearing you now. And I was just like, wow. And I was that person. I'm sure many of my peers were jealous of him or maybe there were people who were jealous of Jeanette, you know, like the perfect, the perfect like teenager or whatever. But the reality is very, very different. And it can have a lot of nefarious consequences in the long term. I feel like it's a really big lesson for parents. Yeah, the line that's really sticking with me, what Jeanette said is, my parents didn't have any expectations for me. And then I'm going to fill in the blank here, but I wish they did. I, I think it's not so much that I wish that they were tiger parents, but it's more that maybe I would feel like if they had more explicit expectations, I would feel like they were shouldering more of the responsibility of parenting me. Does that make sense? Yes, that completely makes sense. And it, I think it actually also has a lot to do with, I know it's a little bit of a different life stage, but you know how some of the parenting books we read these days or resources talk about how it's important and healthy for parents to set boundaries because kids don't understand them, especially when they're younger. But even as they get older, I mean, our frontal lobes are not fully developed until we're like 20 or something, I think. Yeah. And so it's weird to say this and I don't want to basically shit on your parents, but there are different forms of bad parenting, right? But we classically think of bad parenting as like the overbearing parent. It's in Asian cultures. I don't want to say, sorry, not bad parenting, but like controlling, like, you know, making you do all these things. But the other reality is that there are parents who are, sorry, I'm just going to say it, kind of negligent, right? Like your parents didn't neglect you in terms of like, they didn't leave you by the side of the street, but they were as parents emotionally negligent in your upbringing because they did not provide you with sort of like if you think of being a parent as a contract. I mean, there are things that you're supposed to provide as a parent. It's not just food. It's this sort of emotional, emotional security, yeah. security and environment to help you and to guide you right until you're able to. And it's not at age six. That's like, <laughs> you know, you're still developing then. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a little too harsh on your parents. Your example is a really good one because it's not one that we often think about, especially in the context of Asian parents or I don't know. Yeah, but it can be just as devastating in a different way. And maybe people don't think so because everybody would be like, oh, but Jeanette turned out fine. Like she went to Harvard, whatever. I feel like that's what a lot of Asian people, like old school Asian people would say. But we also know turning out fine is not just you get into Harvard and you have a good job. And you have a good oh, life you're and you're happy. Yeah, like your mental health, are you happy? Like you shared a lot of your struggles with us. And I just feel like this is an example of that hidden kind of punishment. This is consequence of like not good parenting that you don't see as visibly as other kinds of parenting. Yeah. And it's this weird paradox, right? Because I went through this whole period where I was, and still kind of do feel angry and resentful at my parents for certain things. But then listening to you, I also feel an almost equally strong impulse to defend my parents and to say like, oh, well, they obviously had their own shit that they were dealing with. You know, they had no access to therapy or they were immigrants with no money when they came over. Um, my dad suffered from probably like major clinical depression. There were a lot of obstacles. So, you know, I, I think it's this weird thing, right? You feel these two competing impulses. I think you can have both. I don't want to blame your parents, but I think it's just objectively saying that in this way, they did not provide, you know, things we would want to provide for our kids. It doesn't necessarily mean they're bad people. It's just that 
given the circumstances and what they didn't have, et cetera, there was a big piece missing. I think what you were saying earlier about it's hard to hold both the conflicting ideas in your head that you could acknowledge, okay, my parents were not good parents in this way, but then also at the same time, not demonize them as people. I think that's very hard to do, right? Yeah, certainly, you know, when I think about my own kids, I would not want them to feel the same level of responsibility, right? Like I would want them to feel like they don't always have to do the responsible thing. I definitely want them to have a more carefree childhood than I did for a longer period of time. And it's so it's kind of recast what I think maybe previously I would have seen as quote unquote bad behavior from kids. You know, I'm just like, well, this is just part of them expressing their emotions and being angry and figuring out where the boundaries are and a certain amount of just like entertaining their whims. Because for me, I felt like I had very little of that and then didn't know what I wanted. And it was a lot harder for me to like, you know, there was a certain point in, in my adulthood where I was like, what do I even want? And I have no fucking idea. And I felt so stupid because I'm like, how could I have gone into my adulthood without a clear idea of what I'm passionate about or what I really want to do? And it felt very, very muddled. Like the whole thing just felt super muddled. You know, so I want my kids to have the space to explore it, even if that process is messy, to have a better sense of their inner desires. So yeah, no, I would like it to be different for my kids than it was for me. But yeah, sorry. And I feel like we got into this territory was like drifting a little bit far from career, but both because my parents didn't know and because I had this dynamic with my parents where they were essentially like, Jeanette will take care of it. You know, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do whatever the responsible thing was. And these experiences had a lot of positive impact on my life, but you know, a lot of the reasons why I was going into them was because I felt like they were the responsible choice. But I feel like I'm kind of just going on on my own thread so we could kind of bring it back. I always really like hearing you share, Jeanette, because I put your life on a pedestal. Like I'll always be like, fuck, I wish I actually was more serious and really tried for McKinsey. And that would have set me up for all these other things in life that I wanted to do in the space of international development and all this stuff. And I was always kind of jealous. You know, but it's like when I hear you say like, it's because you felt so responsible or then it led to this. It's like we all swirled in our own career searching, you know, and, and it was all fed by our life experiences. I guess what I was just trying to say is what we see on the outside. We have no idea what's going on on the inside for people. Oh, yeah. In a lot of areas, like a lot of people thought Jake and I had this like fairy tale college romance. And in some ways we did, but inside there was so much turmoil, like we were breaking up every couple of weeks. I couldn't just deal with being in a such an intimate relationship. People just really had no clue that that was going on. I totally agree with you. Like you just never really know what's going on. Everything can look fine from the outside, but things might be fine or they may not be fine or somewhere in between in, on the inside. And so... um. Yeah, I went through these career exercises, especially when I went to business school. And, you know, yeah, as soon as you get there, you have to start thinking about what you're going to do afterwards. Oh, yeah. It's all about your internship that following <laughs> summer. Yeah. Right. And so they had these career psychologists come in and, you know, they give you these tools and these tests and surveys. And one of the questions like, well, you know, what did you really like to do when you were young? And so for me... Yeah, it was a little bit painful going back and like there were some snippets that were clues, but I think except for reading, right? I never really indulged myself in something really deeply. I, I kind of like to build things and think about designing things. But when I went back to my childhood diaries, the only thing I could find that was referencing anything I thought I would do in the future was like I drew these train cars and there were just like money flying into it so apparently I was really into this idea of having enough money so sad yeah but it was like it's like a vacuum right I mean at some point just making money for the sake of making money I think for a lot of people after a certain point it's not a sustaining motivation I think after I kind of reached the point where I realized I'm going to be okay in life I'm not going to have to think about going to a homeless shelter at some point Sorry. And just a side note is like, I think for people who've kind of gone through a reality where that might have been a possibility, especially in their childhood, even after they come out of that, it actually takes a really long time for your mental reality to catch up with your actual reality. Even when I was at McKinsey, I would think about like, okay, what would I do if I lost everything? And it's not really until much later on where I was like, okay, I'm actually going to be fine. You know, so then what do I do? If the goal of survival is kind of met, basically, then what's next? I, I kind of went through like a series of mini crises and still kind of do, you know, of okay, then what's next? Because that thing that defined me and drove me for so long is not as relevant, but then there's this vacuum you need to fill. And, and that can be, at least for me, I think can be incredibly challenging. 
that's kind of where I am now. You know, I kind of went back and forth with different entrepreneurial ideas, really starting in college, but I never just gave myself a real chance to pursue them. I've always been interested in public discourse, writing, and, and now I'm trying to just give myself space to pursue those things and see where they go, which is really unstructured and can feel a little bit complicated sometimes and complicates explain to other people what I'm doing. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> you quit Amazon. Yeah. A few months ago and you are exploring a lot right now. Have you had any comments from your mom about anything? Oh, no, she doesn't. The only comment that I remember getting from my mom about career is when I left McKinsey and I think it was right around the time I had Isaiah and she was like, oh, it's really hard for, I guess, moms to be ambitious in their careers. And to me, that bothered me to no end her saying that. And, and I don't think she meant it to be judgmental, but it bothered me because I do think that there's a reality that, yeah, many women, when they become moms, look at their work differently and the work takes on a different priority in their life. I think that's true. It's true for many women. But then there's also the reality of how you need to present yourself at work and how you need to be perceived at work by your coworkers, your boss. And that perception is nothing has changed, even though you're a mom, right? Especially in certain professions or career tracks where you want to advance on a consistent basis. And so in some ways, it feels like anybody uttering that is hard for moms to be ambitious in a traditional corporate setting is like somehow feels really threatening. Oh, and yeah. Then, it's going to screw all women. Yeah. And then layered on top of that is the fact that my mom is saying it and that I deeply crave my parents' approval. So for her to somehow imply that she thinks I'm not pushing hard enough in my work life or that I'm not going to be able to just really kind of cut me. I think then I felt a lot of anger around it too, because I felt like, well, you don't really know what it's like. You've never had a professional life in America. You know, you, you don't know these jobs. You don't know anything. It's like, you know, why are you judging me? That kind of reaction. It's weird because I feel like I said, my mom hardly ever makes any comments about what I do for work. But then this is the one thing she chose to say and it bothered me for weeks and weeks. I was so irritable. But yeah, I think that's some of the reasons why I felt so bothered by her comments. Marvin's always like, stop playing the game of trying to get your parents' approval or your in-laws' approval. Like, just stop participating. He's like, because you're never going to get it. So just accept that. And I'm like, oh, like, I want to accept that. But it cuts so deep. Like, it's so hard to deprogram that. Yeah. And it's weird, right? Because, like, do I want my kids to crave my approval? I mean, I think when they're adults, it'll probably be healthier for them if they don't crave my approval. Like, if they have my love and my support and then at some basic level, I will always be there for them, whatever decision they make. And so it doesn't have to be like their motivations are twisted to fit my expectations. Like even this kind of early taking on too much responsibility, I think is kind of rooted in this desire to get approval from them. I, I think some of it was a desire for control over my life. That was a huge part. But I think another part was to be valued in the family and to get my parents' approval for what I do. And it's been a whole process in trying to get my head in a space where I could be more free from that. And I think I'm succeeding more now. But it's taken a lot of, one, like recognizing that dynamic exists, just accepting it, and then trying to live more in the reality of me as an adult and my mom as a 60-something-year-old woman who really doesn't know a lot of the world that I'm operating in and accepting that as reality versus living in the reality of 10-year-old Jeanette trying to make my stressed-out mom happy. Because I think that's where I kind of swirl into this like anxiety, just wanting to overplease like this impulse to take on too much responsibility and overstretch myself. Yeah. Thanks for sharing about that. And I hope you can live days where you are free from responsibility. I know it's very hard. Susan was encouraging me to take 40 days of fun or something. And she's like, you should just wake up every day for 40 days and just do something that's fun that you want to do. And I don't know, it's so hard for me to do that. It's just, I don't know why it's so hard for me to do it. There's so much guilt and just this feeling of, I just can't do it. I just can't do that. Can I be like, hey, you know, there's research and science behind the power of play and that will open up new neural pathways for you to develop and be your best self. Like if I go in that way, will that work for you? Kind of. <laughs> You're like, what would um... research shows? <laughs> I think I have been better about recognizing my need to recharge and not just like operate at 2% battery charge all the time. I think that feels like a next step that 
would be a challenge for me to take. It's something I'm thinking about since I haven't done it yet or committed to doing it yet. It's just hard. Uh, I think apart from some vacations that Jake and I have taken, which is a defined period of time, and I feel like I've earned it, you know, I can't remember the last time where I just felt like I could just wake up and do whatever I wanted. You know, this drive to be productive and be useful is really strong. And it feels like there's something wrong if I'm not doing that. But yes, thanks for the challenge. Thanks for pushing me. I think it's very hard to suddenly reverse a lifetime of cognitive and behavioral habits. I think sometimes in this case, doing small things, like something really small, like a small step and building up from there seems actually just maybe more feasible than a really big, ambitious thing, you know? So I wonder what is something small that you feel like within Reach the Brie, you wouldn't feel as guilty? Yeah, just taking some time to read something I like. I don't know. I'm still figuring this out. I thought about this a lot too when um, in business school, there was like a case on two basketball coaches. I think one coach for Duke and the other one coach for UNC. And one really motivated his players through very punitive measures. And the other relied solely on positive reinforcement to motivate his players. And both did incredibly well, but it seemed like the guy, I think they called him Coach K, achieved a little consistently better results by using positive reinforcement. So there's kind of the thing I want to believe, which is, okay, maybe taking the more happy route actually does have a performance edge. But then more importantly, especially vis-a-vis my kids, is the relationship that this guy had with his players, right, was so, so much more pleasant and loving than the relationship that this other coach had with his players, which is like he just dominated them with fear. It's just like, I'll have a better quality relationship. They'll probably do better if I do it. I'm trying to apply this to myself as well, but it's just like Kate, you said, it's like turning a barge around that's been going in one direction for a long time. But I want to get to this place where I'm doing things that give me energy and restore this sense of play and fun in what I do versus this other MO that I've been using, which is just grind it out, grit your teeth, punish yourself when you don't do what you wanted to do. And that's how you're going to reach that next milestone. Yeah. Well, I want to shift the conversation to Kate with this question of what is the role of your parents in your career and how they've influenced them because you work for your dad. And in high school, you two had a thing together, which was you published a book together. You co-wrote a book, which is the the father and daughter perspective of American high schools for a market based in China. So already you were working with your father when you were an adolescent. And then you go to Harvard, you do some career exploration. After a time, you, you go to Beijing and work there, which he's not very happy about, even though he has a business base there. And then now you're working for your dad. And you have been for how long? Oh, geez. Seven years? Yeah, seven years. So what's that dynamic like? Did they always want you to come be a part of the family business or it just happened that way? Or he wants you to go fly out on your own or he wants you to take over? Like what's going on? I think it's been a back and forth over the many years. My parents, I think, were a lot more hands-on in different ways, maybe than Jeanette's parents, but they were also not super prototypical tiger parents. They wanted me to work really hard. And my dad had very high academic standards for me, but it wasn't a high academic standard with an explicit goal. For example, you know, I know some parents are like, well, you need to study really hard so you can get to Harvard or become this kind of an engineer or something like that. Right. So my parents, it's interesting. My dad specifically never said those things. He just had a really high standard of academic achievement for me because it's something that is in the family. Like his father, my grandfather left a rural area through education, worked really hard and you know, was quite successful in his career before the Cultural Revolution. My dad also like never went to middle school, never went to high school because of the Cultural Revolution. But when they resumed the college entrance exams in 1979, he tested into one of the best universities in China. And the overall acceptance rate to any kind of college, three or four year in 1979, was something ridiculous, like 2.5% of all people who took that exam to get into college, period, three or four year college. So I think like for me, for my dad, that kind of tradition was super important. And he definitely pushed me really hard. Like I remember, you know, in fourth grade, I like did a frog dissection and then I got an A and his first response was, why didn't you get an A plus? You know, so I grew up with that. Well, the upside is that it was never goal directed. Like you have to get into the school, become this kind of profession. But I think what it did was it made me want to do well not because I wanted to do well or because I was interested in something, but because, and I'm sure this is very common among other, you know, immigrant kids, but because I was afraid to not do well, right? Because my dad would get really like mad. In middle school, I would have to re-copy my math homework, even if the answers were correct until it was like perfect looking. And 
You, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, he was kind of like OCD. He's very detail oriented in that way. And so I think that definitely impacted me. So I was always wanting to strive, but I didn't strive towards a specific goal, if that makes sense. So in that sense, I was kind of like Jeanette, like, what do you really like to do? I mean, I had things that I like to do. So maybe I'm like Jeanette, I, I knew what I liked to do, which was to read like all day long. I just wanted to read. I just wanted people to leave me the fuck alone. And so I could just go read my like Chinese literature and translation. But for me, I never connected that or like drawing. I love to draw. I tried, I hounded my parents for like years for drawing lessons until they finally caved in when I was 14. And they regretted because I was actually pretty good. But the weird thing is I never in my mind as a young Wait, person, did they regret it? Yeah. Well, you know what? Good. They thought it was frivolous. They're like, what's drawing going to do for you? It's not going to get you anywhere. And then they regretted it because I started winning like county prizes and I was pretty good at watercolor. So they regretted not like letting me do it when I started I asking see. them because they thought, oh, Kate could have maybe gone farther. Story of my life, right? Everything I actually did, like learning piano, learning violin. I actually asked my parents for that. So it's really weird for my dad who had really high academic expectations. They were like completely absent on the non-academic side. Like they didn't expose me to lessons. Unlike my husband who, his mom just literally gave him all kinds of lessons when he was a kid and under similar-ish financial circumstances. So I was just, you know, I started everything really late. And my parents, I think that's one of the biggest regrets that it's not that they didn't have the money. They just didn't think about cultivating anything other than Kate doing well in school, you know? And so I never learned to connect things that I was personally very interested in, driven by like literature, art into a viable career, which I think was a huge fatal flaw in that sense. Right. And I would always like talk myself down like, oh, that's not a real career. You can't do well enough. And I would always downplay my abilities in those because I just never made that cognitive connection between something that you can do well, but that's not accepted as an academic achievement and turning that into a career, you know, that's probably the biggest consequence of, I would say, my dad. And where's my mom, you say? Well, so my mom was like, she was not a slouch. She brought all the Chinese public school curriculum of math and literature from first grade until fifth grade when we immigrated to the U.S. when I was five. So she thought that far ahead. She stuffed our suitcases full of those. I mean, they're not very big. They're like each of them is like this small. Chinese is pretty like compact. So obviously she was thinking about that and she would give me lessons like after it because they thought elementary school in the U.S. is a joke, which kind of is right compared to China. So after elementary school, my mom would be like, what's your homework? I was like, nothing. Coloring this panda. And then she's like, okay, let's, let's go. Let's, let's learn some, you know, Chinese like essays and let's learn some math. And I didn't think it was a big deal because I don't know, like I was kind of bored at school. But now that I look back, I'm like, geez, my mom really had the foresight to like literally give me additional lessons in Chinese. And that's how I was able to skip two grades in math. But again, my mom was doing it. I don't think she was doing it with the intention of trying to get me to like become a super talented or anything. I think at the time she didn't have a job because she couldn't find like she was waitressing and, and was a housekeeper. But I think she also just wanted to spend more time with me and be more hands-on because as you guys know, I was notoriously in a boarding school in China before we moved to the U.S. So I don't think she was driven by like Kate needs to achieve. It was more like, here's something we can do together. And it seems like American school is kind of boring for her. So give her some supplementary education. Oh, she was your Kumon. She's your Kumon. Yeah, I guess. yeah but I didn't see it like that. I actually didn't hate it. I, I thought it was kind of fun. I don't know. I'm just a weird person, I guess. Um, and then when I got older, her emphasis, because my mom's, you know, she's Christian and she does a lot of social. Basically, she's the person who if you give birth or you have a fight with your husband, like you go to sea in her town. Yeah. Is that really? Like, kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 She's not a pastor, but she's basically like the default elder of like people with their dramas all come to her. She's like that person. She pushed me very much to sort of like more social responsibility kind of thing. Like she encouraged me to volunteer and, you know, I think she never interfered in the academic side of things. That was always my dad. So they kind of had those separate roles, which is interesting. Mm. It's not like she didn't care about my academics, but I think she also was just like, well, you know, dad has it. So I'll just do something else. So I don't know. I feel like, yes, I was very like my parents were pseudo tire parents, but not really. It was more for the sake of a family tradition and a value that my dad pushed me to really achieve. Once he saw that I was self-motivated enough to do well. In high school, he basically didn't manage me at all. He didn't check my homework. I was kind of like left to my own devices in high school because I think by that time he figured he could quote unquote trust me to make the right decisions, you know? But I would still say after that, they, my dad especially, not so much my mom, I would still crave that approval, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Even though when I went off to college, I kind of this delayed rebellious period. But deep down inside, I was still kind of like, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but not courageous enough to turn down my parents' suggestions, if that makes sense. Like they were never 
What would they suggest? Well, so to start off with, like, should I go to Harvard or not? My top choice is Wellesley. I think I mentioned that before. But and my parents never were like, you have to go to Harvard. They're like, it's your choice. But really, there wasn't a choice because I don't know if it was the way that they had I had grown up or me, but I felt like I had no choice. Does that make sense? And I think that feeling drove a lot of my considerations for how I chose my major, which initially, I think I told you guys before that I declared as East Asian studies. But then my dad was like, why am I paying, you know, Harvard white people to teach my daughter about Chinese history? You know, that kind of thing. But you could have said like, this is actually what I want to do. That's the crazy thing, though, Jeanette. It's like I was saying earlier, I could never connect what I wanted to do as being valid. It's always frivolous in my mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think some therapists might say like, you never got validation for your desires, right? So then it's hard to trust them. Like even as a grown up, right? Exactly. Even if I was good, right? Like after I eventually started drawing, my parents said, oh, you're good. But like I had spent so long fighting them. I I even doubted that I was actually good. Does that make sense? It just became this ingrained, like, I don't know how to make the right decision for myself. Yeah. I guess my parents must be right. Kind of situation. Yeah. But then I would feel resentment. You know what yeah. I mean? Because yeah. I knew in my heart what I really liked to do. But then right. my mind would be like, but you can't turn that like into something you actually do. So it was just a lot of conflict there. I, I'm not blaming my parents. How I ended up like this, I'm not entirely sure how much of it is me. Because obviously my parents would not have pulled the payment of the tuition if I had decided to stick with East Asian cities. That's what I'm saying. Like there was no overt coercion. Like we won't support you anymore if you do this. You know, there was none of that, which I think there have been for other people that I know, but it was like much more insidious. And yeah, so that was really hard. And actually my biggest act of rebellion, which I know sounds so lame maybe to people, was I had a breakdown basically sophomore year and I wanted to take like a semester off and just like do something else. Of course, Asian parents like, you can't do that. So I applied to go study abroad in Paris without telling my parents I got accepted. And I just told them, I'm going, bye. And they were just like, what? They could have said, we're not going to pay for your tuition. But that's what I mean, right? Like my parents could have ultimately said, we're not going to pay your tuition if you go to study abroad in Paris. But they didn't. They were not happy about it, but they let me go anyway. And it it just sounds so, so stupid now because I'm like, that was like my biggest act of rebellion. But I think maybe the two of you can understand, right? Because it's like I was in a prison in part of my own making. And it was like, I finally like jailbroke myself out. Oh, and hilariously, like years later, my dad was like, that was such a good choice. (laughs) Because the man who was like super pissed when I told him I was going to do that. I don't know. And then career wise, I think my parents realized because we fought so much in college. Like, I kid you not, if you ask any of my freshman dorm mates, they would have been like, Kate sounded like she was screaming at her parents every night on the phone because we speak our dialect. It already kind of sounds like you're yelling at each other when you speak the dialect, like even if you're happy. Wait, so that's tell me, tell me like the bread is in the oven. Like, or say, uh, I, I feel know. terrible. Kind of <laughs> I mean, like, but, but like it just—it's like a dialect, right? So, every, but I was actually fighting with my parents at least fifty percent of the time. So I think my parents kind of just like maybe we should just kind of not give her that much pressure. So actually, for the first part of my career, I kind of did whatever. You know, we talked about this in the previous episode. And my parents, like occasionally, if I was like poor and was like working in a nonprofit, like you know, they would give me some money and like help me out and stuff. And they didn't really interfere. And my mom didn't either. And I think. That was definitely in large part to maybe either they felt bad about trying to control my life before or honestly, they felt bad about, you know, trying to make me change in a certain way. So actually, I felt like it was pretty fine. But then weirdly enough, after that time, also, my dad was busy, like starting his company. So he didn't have a lot of time to like spend telling me what to do anymore. He was busy yelling at other people um, and telling him what to do. But weirdly enough, I kind of wish that I had had more guidance during that time, right? Because then I feel like just like ping-ponging and reaction, I would do things because I could. And I was like, oh, who cares if my parents like, you know, care about this or not? And so I went from like this, like a lot of involvement to like almost none. And I would not say that was great either. I mean, I was an adult, so I can't really blame my parents. I was like 21, make your own decisions, et cetera. But I think they stepped away so much that it was just when you're so used to a lifetime of like, you know, the sort of involvement in some way. Yeah. And then they just kind of like don't. It's also strange. Yeah. One thing that I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you, Kate, is just how as a kid, your parents have so much influence that they don't even realize. Like your parents didn't force you to do these things or they would have not pulled your college tuition had you made a decision that, you know, was contrary to their wishes. But you still felt like it was a no-no. And I think a lot of kids feel that way. I mean, in some of these podcasts that I listen to, like Janet Lansbury, you know, she talks about how kids, parents are like gods and they wield so much power. And I think I've experienced this also with my parents where there are instances of 
my interactions with them that really impacted me. But then later on, they will say, oh, that wasn't a big deal. Because from their perspective, it wasn't a big deal, right? But from the perspective of a child, anything that comes from your parents, the magnitude and the importance of it is just so much greater than from the adult's perspective, right? And so I don't know, it's a little scary now as a parent to think about that because things that you feel like you're doing that's not a big deal might like actually be a huge deal to your kid, you know, who's like one, two, three, four, five, you know? That's true. And, and then I think also, you know, this image came to my mind of what my parents kind of did was that, you know, if I was like a little bird, my wings, I felt like my parents were always helping me fly for the longest time, you know, basically like supporting me, but I never learned how to fly on my own. And I feel like this analogy is particularly apt, not just for career, but also for social interaction, like how to handle certain situations. And again, I'm not blaming my parents, but I feel like I was so protected or supported or directed in that way. But then there was never any process of like gradually help, like letting me fly by myself. It was just kind of like, okay, bye. Like go fly by yourself now, you know? And, and it felt very jarring for me. I think college and early adulthood was very, very jarring because of that. Yeah. So I had to learn a lot by making a lot of really awkward or stupid mistakes, I guess, both career-wise or kind of like ping-ponging, not being really sure how to work that out. Okay. So You've given me this beautiful imagery of little Kate with very stunted short wings that cannot really fly very well. <laughs> and then you're like slowly sinking down to the ground being like, these wings aren't working. And then you find yourself working for your dad and you're able to be in Beijing and be back with your roots. And what was that like or how did that come about? Was that his idea? Was that your idea? Were you happy with that? How did that all happen? My dad and I have very similar personalities. So like if you can imagine all the things that are kind of obnoxious or crazy about me and just times 10 that, that would be my dad. When you were like, he has OCD, I was like, okay, interesting. Oh, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet, okay? scared. Yeah, you should be scared of my dad. No, no, he's mellowed out a lot. You know, so I spent like the first half of my career basically until I was like 27, just doing my own thing. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned before, I was very interested in higher education, like, public sector. And coincidentally, you know, my dad's company is in the higher education space in China. I had always wanted to work in China, right? The first time I went there with Gates Foundation, my dad was like, why are you here? But then, you know, he, he, his company was doing pretty well and they were doing some interesting things. And there were more international, like non-Chinese partners asking to work, doing research, um, wanting to do research with the company because his company had a lot of data on Chinese individuals. They're like, uh, higher education achievements and outcomes, especially labor market data, which is really scarce to come by in China. And so I don't know, we were kind of and I was kind of like bored with my <laughs> in year two of my job because that's just me. And so, you know, I took a sabbatical in my previous job to kind of test it, trial it out right in Beijing with my dad, uh, with my dad's company. And I don't know, sometimes I feel like I make decisions without thinking things through. I mean, my dad is OK, so I don't know how much you guys know about work culture in like China or if you know them in respectively in like Vietnam or Korea. But like, you know, I would say East Asian work cultures tend to be much hierarchical, top down and at least in China, yelling oriented, <laughs> like it's perfectly acceptable for a supervisor to yell at his or her underlings, you know, in front of other people. So my dad would do that a lot. Like one time I thought saw him throw a computer at somebody's foot, like not like hitting them, but like he threw it. Like he was got so mad because of something they shouldn't have done. Apparently you would think warning sign, ding, 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 like Maybe that's so good for your dad because you might get yelled at by him in front of your like colleagues. But I think for me, I just really wanted to work in China, but I didn't want to go as an English teacher. Not that there's anything wrong with being an English teacher in China, but I just really wanted to do something that was kind of relevant to what I was interested in. And I also really liked my colleagues, actually, like the people that I met while I was sort of doing my sabbatical there. I, and they're all Chinese, but I, I really like them. And I really liked the lifestyle of living in Beijing as well. Like quite a few of my good college friends were actually there. So I just thought of it as more of a whole package. Like, this is an adventure. I go work for my dad, but really it's like about the whole lifestyle thing. I get to hang out with one of my friends. And then, you know, I really love living in Beijing. So I think that was <laughs> what made me decide. Again, <laughs> ding, 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 warning signs did not like tell me I should probably think about it a little more carefully. And my mom was kind of like, okay. I mean, she didn't really say anything, but she was like, okay, this will, she's probably thinking like, this is going to be interesting. 
So, you know, it was really hard. I'm going to be really honest. I think I mentioned it in our previous recording. Working with someone who is not only very similar to you in personality, but it's also your father and also technically your boss is just like, if anybody here has ever worked with like their parent in any working capacity, well, Jeanette, it's hard emotionally. Like the work was not that hard. It was really interesting, actually. But, you know, my dad is very demanding and I did get yelled at like in front of other people. And maybe it felt worse because he was my dad. But in that moment, he was not my dad. He was my boss. You know what I mean? But I also think at the same time, it was very enlightening for me because I could see a lot of the flaws in him that I realized were also reflected in me. So like the way that he would do things, if I started criticizing him in my head and I thought about it, I was like, wait a minute, I think I also do something similar to that. So it was almost like holding up a mirror to myself. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Mm. But in general, it's I would not promote people to work in that kind of environment, because I think if you've been used to working in the U.S., it's just it's just really different. You know, that was very tough, but also very character building. And then, of course, at the same time, I was living life like on a personal level with my dad. Right. Because I'd see him for like breakfast or whatever on weekends. We lived in the same complex for a year and a half, uh, but I did not want to live with him. That would have been a disaster. But I actually found myself trying to avoid him like socially. <laughs> like outside of the office because it's just too weird. You know what I mean? Like to hang out with your dad, like for breakfast. And then inevitably you can't avoid talking about work-related things. But then I just like wanted my social life to be just my social life and not related to my work life with my dad. But I think things got better over time because I ended up doing a lot of things that are quite independent of other people at the rest of the company. And so I didn't really have to work with my dad so much as like, I just had to ask, is this okay to do this kind of project? And he just leave me alone. I I don't know if you'd want to cut this, but I remember you had to negotiate with your dad for mat leave. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, so that was after I came back to the U.S. because I was like, hey, dad, so like maternity leave. And by the way, Chinese maternity leave policies are amazing. You get like 16, 18 weeks, I think, state mandated. I think sometimes a little bit more if you had a C-section or something or if there were complications, fully paid. And so I was like, hey, how about maternity leave? He's like, oh, do you need it? I'm like, hello, your your female employees, I'll get it in China. He's like, oh, okay, maybe you can talk to HR about it. So I didn't have to negotiate with him directly. Thank God. But and then I actually got pissed. This is where, you know, occasionally my mom gets involved. So I went to my mom and I was like in high dungeon. I was like, mom, can you believe it? Dad didn't even think that I should get maternity leave. She was like, what? That's terrible. So she went and yelled at him. He was like, geez, okay. I told her to go talk to HR, you know, so that like, that's one. Yeah, you did talk to HR. (laughs) Moms. That's one rare instance. I would never, ever really, though, talk to my mom about work with my dad because I felt like that would just be too, like, I was very conscious of the fact that I am already in, you know, in East Asian cultures, I'm sure this is the same with probably Vietnam and Korea, where if, you know, the boss has a family member working in the company, like everybody knows, you know what I mean? I was already very aware of the nepotism in that sense. And so I was always very conscious to try not to like abuse it. So especially I would never, even if my dad yelled at me or whatever, I wouldn't like go go tell my mom like, oh, dad yelled at me, (laughs) you know, because it was just not relevant. And so I I did try to my credit, I will, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. I was very aware of that dynamic. And I went out of my way to really make friends with all my, like my colleagues, you know, and try to be friendly. But of course people always will treat you a little differently, right? Like the boss's daughter. Yes, which is kind of hard actually, but things got better after I left and moved back to the U.S. because they didn't have to see me around. But yeah, I, I would I would have to give myself good credit for that. And I do think that my quote unquote American upbringing definitely influenced that decision to try to be much more aware of, you know, how people felt about me and to try to not be so overbearing. Jeanette here again. Was there something you heard in this episode that made you think of a friend? If so, please text them this episode the next minute you have free. We would appreciate it and chances are good that your friend will too. Thanks and we're looking forward to catching you next time, whether that's on your drive back from drop-off, folding laundry, or picking up around the house at the end of the day. We see you and we're sending encouragement.